people will often see my wheelchair and assume that I am aiming for less because of my disability. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Well, I'm thrilled today to reveal the final finalist in the Australian Women's Weekly Women of the Future Awards. It's my great pleasure to welcome to Short Black today, Hannah Davini. G'day, Hannah. How are you? Hi, Sandra. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm good. Now, your project that's uh, leapfrogged you into this esteemed group is called Missing Perspectives, a global publication platform which addresses the marginalisation of women across news, media, democracy, decision-making on a global scale. In particular, it's about those with a disability. Why so? Well, I guess for anyone who can't see, which is obviously all of you because we're doing a podcast, I am sitting in a wheelchair currently because I have a physical disability called cerebral palsy, which basically impacts my fine and gross motor skills. So that's everything from walking and balancing to being able to manipulate a knife and fork properly or handwriting neatly, that kind of stuff. So obviously disability activism and disabled representation is at the forefront of my mind and it's what I do in tandem with Missing Perspectives. Yeah, it was just because Missing Perspectives is essentially about all of those voices that don't get heard by mainstream media. And we're, we're acting on the findings of a report by the Gates Foundation by a woman named Luba Kasova. Basically, the report is called The Missing Perspectives of Women in News, and it shows that women are feeling underrepresented and, as a result, like really disengaged with news, media, democracy, decision-making, all that kind of stuff. My friend and co-founder, Phoebe St. who is going to be listening to this and was very excited that I was going to be interviewed by you, she launched the website back in June and I kind of came on as editor-in-chief because her mum had taught me at primary school and had remembered that I was kind of a good writer, had sort of kept tabs on me over the years. And originally I just got messaged on Instagram to be a writer to do one article and then Phoebe was like I know all the logistical stuff but I don't have any editorial experience and I was like well I've kind of picked some up from freelancing and doing stuff over the years so I can kind of fill that gap if you want and then here we are. So you've kind of become the voice of Missing Perspectives. Yeah. It was only this week I think I was reading that one of the big Australian employer groups I think it's Woolworths I hope I've got that right They've acknowledged that they're not doing enough in terms of the disability employment sector. And we often say in in these podcasts with Short Black, particularly for young women, you can't be what you can't see. So true, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And, And I mean, that's kind of the underlying principle of all of my activism that I do across Missing Perspectives and in other areas of my life. But yeah, for Missing Perspectives in particular, we just kept finding that the majority of people who get a voice in mainstream media are white men and that obviously the world is made up of significantly more than just white men. So we decided that we would try and find a place to tell the stories of women who would otherwise not have a chance to kind of set their foot in the door. 
What's the reaction been like? What's the take-up been like? Yeah, the take-up's been amazing. We've had readers in thousands of countries. I think we've got readers in like 137 countries. Considering we only launched in June, that's like a mind-blowing number. And I think we have contributors from maybe like 50 countries, which is really cool as well. Yeah. You're the voice for all disabilities, aren't you? You're not just cerebral palsy. Yeah. We also cover a lot of kind of taboo issues. So we might have articles on climate change or domestic violence or period poverty or like child labour, those sorts of things. So we kind of cover most kind of taboo issues that mainstream media won't touch. That's sort of our mission, I guess. Is it hard to be an authority on those sorts of things? I mean, how do you prepare to write about all those issues from a disability perspective? Basically, 95% of the contributors that we have have lived experience of the issues that they're writing about. So that's really important to us. And we kind of thought that lived experience journalism was like this trend that we would find that we'd just sort of be hopping on the back of. But as it turns out, journalism from the point of view of lived experience is relatively rare and a new thing, which kind of means, I guess, that Missing Perspectives are pioneers of lived experience journalism. So we're, we're really passionate about the fact that all of the girls who write for us pretty much have lived experience of the issues that they're writing about. One of my colleagues actually works in the diversity and media space and she's a real champion for it, Antoinette Latouf, and it's reminding us all not just about the gender imbalance but the cultural imbalance, the racial imbalance, and, and you present this other paradigm which is the ability imbalance, isn't it? Yeah. What I find fascinating is there's so many areas of marginalisation that we just don't see. Yeah, definitely, and I think what people have to remember too is for every area of marginalization there are people who sit at the intersection of multiple of those so you have people who are disabled who are people of color as well or who are members of the lgbt community and all across that sort of stuff but yes i think disability is um one of the sort of last kind of areas that we haven't fully kind of cracked open yet like obviously we still have a long way to go across all marginalization and diversity spaces but I think people are kind of getting it in terms of like the rights of the LGBTQ plus community and like we've had obviously the Black Lives Matter movement has sort of exploded into global conversations about race and all that sort of stuff especially over the last two years so I think disability is still sort of building to a really big conversation but we're getting there. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, they often say success is a combination of timing, luck and opportunity. And there's sort of an epiphany, isn't there, worldwide with these issues where all of a sudden there's been this global awakening that we can all stay in our lane, but we're not actually open to what other people are being shut out to. Yeah. And there couldn't be a better time for you to raise your voice and be heard. Yeah. Personally, it's worked out pretty well um, for me. That, that that people want to talk about issues that affect the disabled community. But, um, yeah, I think, especially with the pandemic, which sort of exposed all sorts of inequalities that had sort of been simmering under the surface and all these sorts of 
ideas around people potentially getting really sick and like no one knowing what the long-term effects of COVID would be and whether like that would leave people as members of the disabled community because you have to remember that we are probably the only marginalized group that you can join at any given time depending on what is going on in your life so um yeah I think COVID has really sort of opened that up because a lot of people have had to be confronted with potential like changes in the health or changes in their ability or that kind of thing. What are some of the big myths about disability in general that you'd like to tackle? I think for me one of the huge myths is a presumed lack of intelligence. Is that particularly because of cerebral palsy? Because so many people just don't understand, do they, that it's a physical setback? Yeah, they don't. And the thing the thing with cerebral palsy is it exists on a spectrum. So at one end of the spectrum, you have people who are affected maybe only on one side or they have like, they might walk a bit lopsided, they have a claw hand, that kind of thing. Then you have me who's sort of sitting in the middle and right at the other end of the spectrum, you have people who essentially the only things they can do independently are breathe and swallow. However, just because they can't speak in ways that we can understand doesn't mean that they aren't acutely aware of every single thing that is going on around them. And I think definitely people will often see my wheelchair and assume that I am aiming for less because of my disability or that my only possible path for success is Paralympic sport, which I should point out, like, I think Paralympians are amazing and, like, all the amazing athletes that we have do, do a wonderful job, but obviously they're elite athletes. It's not something that every disabled person can try their hand at and be brilliant at nor is it something that every disabled person wants to try their hand at. If I had a dollar for every time that I was asked some variation of the question, what's your Paralympic sport going to be? As a kid, I'd be a very rich woman. <laughs> and that must be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Because it's so short changes who you really are. And especially um, as someone who grew up with two younger, able-bodied sisters, I would always be like, well, hold on, you're not asking them what their Olympic sport is going to be. What about some of the other myths of disability that frustrate you and you'd like to see change? I think also just the idea that, like, people with disabilities are all sad and, like, looking at life through a, through a window and watching it go by instead of wanting to, like, actively participate in it. And definitely, like, the movies and the TV that we see haven't helped that assumption because a lot of the time, if ever you see a disabled person on screen, it's generally that they're sad and they can't imagine how their life would ever go on because now they're disabled, which is not helpful in any way and is actually quite damaging. You've written about how important it was when you were growing up that your parents really never saw your disability when they engaged you about growing up and dreaming big. That was significant, wasn't it, for you, just being seen as the person? And I think it's also really important to point out, though, that they never pretended I wasn't disabled. So they struck this really fine balance of making sure that my needs and 
my kind of, I guess the quirks of my condition were well looked after and like I still obviously went to all my therapies and hospital appointments and goodness knows what else. Right. But they never presented that as a limitation in terms of like, you can still go out and dream as big as you like. There are just going to be some things that that aren't on the cards for you. Like in terms of mum would always say to me, well, you're never going to be a 100-metre Olympic sprinter. You can still be in a movie or, or like, write a book or you can still get, an edu- get a university degree and you can still have friends and go to parties and love music and all of those things that I do. Um, it's also really interesting having two, like I said, younger, able-bodied sisters who are actually quite physically active being able to see them do things that my body is absolutely not capable of. That's been a really steep emotional learning curve, but I think I'm finally starting to get into a position where disability is not something that I'm fighting against. And I think one of the most um, important realisations that I've come to over the last couple of years is realising how much my life had been oriented towards kind of able-bodied standards of success or like trying to keep up with my able-bodied peers because being presented as different was just not the thing that a teenager wants to go through for example but I think coming to the realization that no matter what I do I'm not going to be able-bodied so I can either keep running myself ragged in a race that I'm never going to win or I can change the, change the game and try and build a life that, sure, looks a little bit different, but is much healthier and happier for me. Love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. we haven't touched on really is what something like the Women's Weekly Women of the Future Awards says and does about lifting the profile of people like yourself and what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's a massive opportunity and it's one that I don't take lightly at at all. I think, to put it bluntly, like there aren't many people who look like me who have necessarily been allowed into rooms like that one or been given a chance to kind of have a seat at the table. So Hopefully, by kind of opening the door and really kind of powering through with a passionate story and, like, being quite motivated as I am, I can make that better and hold the door open eventually so that other people can come through as well. You know, these conversations, Hannah, and what you're doing is is just so profoundly important for all of us to hear. And you have struck a chord 
and The Right Note with none other than Reese Witherspoon's production company. You took over their social media. Tell us about how all that came about. Yes, that, that, that was a pretty, pretty big day that day. That's a pinch me moment. Yes, it, it definitely, definitely was. So basically I am fascinated by storytelling. Like that's what I love to do in every kind of aspect of it. So Hello Sunshine had been on my radar as this really sort of powerful place where women's stories are being told. So when we developed Missing Perspectives, I was thinking about kind of the big names and the big partnerships that would make sure that the, the right people and like the maximum amount of people possible heard about our initiative and got involved and Hello Sunshine immediately popped into my head. So I did some research and found the email of their CEO, Sarah Harden, who happens to be Australian as well. And I sent her this huge big pitch that was just like a complete shot for the moon on my part. And I sent it off and nothing sort of happened. And I was like, oh, well, I I guess that door sort of closed. It didn't work out. And then a couple of weeks later, actually quite a bit later, so much that I'd almost forgotten that I'd sent the email in the first place, I got a reply and not only was it not a no, which is definitely what I was expecting, but it was a very enthusiastic yes. Awesome. So what happened then? We had meetings with the Hello Sunshine team and they decided that the best way for us to at least begin our partnership with them was to take over their social media So we went through all of the girls who have written for us and put together a list of seven activists, including myself. Were you surprised at at how people responded? Yeah, I definitely wasn't sure what to expect. Like, obviously, Hello Sunshine has a massive audience and to get the response that we did and to have our content shared by Reese herself and then... We had some interaction with Ashley Judd and all these other amazing women. It was really, really special. You're going to achieve many great things, but one thing you're trying to do is you're the co-founder of the Cerebral Palsy Alliance's Crazy Cozy Climb. Now, that's a challenge empowering young people living with any disability, really, to walk the summit track from Charlotte Pass to the top of Mount Kosciuszko. We've actually been running the event for... I think we're planning, we're, we're going into our ninth year. Obviously, with my sort of rising public profile because of this and because of a bunch of other activism that I do, people are finally starting to pay attention to Crazy Cozy Climb. But yeah, it's been running since 2014. We've helped like 140 families and their kids with, mainly with cerebral palsy, but sometimes with other disabilities to conquer Mount Kosciuszko. And the whole point of that is basically to show disabled kids or, and their families that they're way more capable than they think they are. I can tell you that if you had asked me a couple of years before we'd started this event, climbing Mount Kosciuszko would not have been on my radar as something that was possible for me to do. But the other really important thing is with all of the corporate sponsors that we get who come along for the climb, for a lot of them, it's the first time that they're being sort of confronted and presented with disability. And we're also really proud of the fact that a lot of the times the corporate people involved in charity events like this one 
are presented with the sad stories, the ones that are going to tug at their heartstrings and make them reach for their wallets. But it's generally not presented from the perspective of the disabled person themselves. So this is a really sort of hands-on, close-up look. Like, you actually get to see what cerebral palsy looks like, talk to the families, see what impact it has on their daily life, and you get to do something pretty cool like climb one of the seven summits of the world. I do want to add, though, you're on a mission to convince Disney to have a new look princess. I am. Basically, for anyone who doesn't know, I am campaigning for Disney to create a disabled Disney princess. I have a petition on change.org. You can go sign it now if you want. And it has, I think at last count, like 54,000 signatures. It'll be 54,001 when we finish this podcast, I can promise you. Oh, good, good. What do you think um, something like Disney would do if they created a disabled princess? Oh, man, the, the things that that would do for disabled kids, it's, it's actually hard to put into words. I guess for context, um, I grew up never seeing anyone who looked like me in the books I read, the TV I watched, the movies or, or the games I played. And that's a really weird and hard feeling as a child because it makes you feel super invisible and it's actually quite damaging. It's really damaging to your self-esteem and it's also really damaging to what you think you're potentially capable of. Like, obviously, I'm not saying that kids necessarily consciously get their ambitions from Disney movies, but it does help that... They can see people having adventures and having friends and falling in love and being the hero of their own story. And I want that for kids who look like me. But on top of that, for the able-bodied kids who would see the film, it's an excellent chance to sort of teach them tolerance, empathy, create disability as something that's not scary, not something to be afraid of or to laugh at or that kind of thing. And hopefully, if we start at the young age of, I guess, young kids, those kids will grow into better allies as adults. Can you imagine the day that that actually happens? Disney's reach is global and it's significant. I mean, it's mind-blowing. I want to implore everyone that's listening to sign your petition. It's on change.org, so you just have to Google create a Disney princess with disabilities and you'll find it. Or even if you just Google my name, Hannah Divney, and put Disney after it, I'm sure it will pop up. And I can't wait for all your listeners to sign it and put their support behind it. Hannah, Missing Perspectives is just a wonderful platform. What will you do if you win with that $100,000? Oh, my goodness, that would be mind-blowing, I think. That will definitely go towards setting up workshops because we also, aside from being a publication platform, moving into the not-for-profit space and we want to run workshops where we teach young girls how to advocate, how to tell their stories, basically how to be journalists because we um, believe that anyone can be. They just need a pen and a platform. And then on top of that, secondarily, it would be to make sure we can pay our contributors because they're all giving up their sort of stories for free at the moment and then just looking after staff as well. Well, Hannah, I'm wishing you the best of luck. I hope you do well. I know you will. Even reaching the finalist group is prestigious enough. Thank you so much, Sandra. It's been a pleasure.
We really should credit the Australian Women's Weekly for providing this platform for all the women who entered, but also particularly the six finalists, because there's a diverse group all doing remarkable things. Full credit to the Women's Weekly for doing this. You know, it's all about amplifying the voice and and getting heard, finding your voice, finding your power and getting your messages out there. So well done to all. Good luck. You have been listening to Short Black, a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app.